thought that was a good way to start the new year because here's the deal. If you're in Jesus, the past is gone. The rearview mirror is broken off. You have hope. If you don't, if you showed up running here this morning and you don't know Jesus, here's the good news. He is hope for a future and he is, all of our hope is in him. And so it's a good day to be together to worship Jesus. It's a new year. It's our first one of 2018. You guys feeling okay? Did you have a good, you got happy new year? It's awesome. We'll be in Psalm 127 today. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen in a second. You might have seen, you've heard about this nation on the news, North Korea, and their, their little leader there, his name is Kim Jong-un, and he is a tyrannical psychopath. 
And he has set himself up, as did his father, to be worshipped in that country. And he is, he is a man who is following some communist and tyrannical ideas that have taken over this country and it holds it under his thumb. Largely, he lives the high life while the people in that country starve to death and have a, have a really difficult time. You may have seen in the news people trying to desert and leave that country, and you may have seen the stuff about the missiles and the nuclear war. I want to tell you, I heard a story this week about what's about to go down in North Korea that I want to tell you. I got to go to Pasha Conference with a whole bunch of, of college students, uh, leading some from our church, some from Central Florida. And, and the, this place, we went to this conference called Passion Conference. It took place over three venues. Uh, two were in Atlanta. One was the Infinite Energy Arena. One was the Phillips Arena, where Phillips Arena is where the Hawks play basketball, the Atlanta Hawks. And then in the Anthem Theater in Washington, D.C. So about 50,000 college students and their leaders gathered together to raise high the name of Jesus. It's pretty awesome to get to do that. In Every year they do this conference, they find some ways in which college students who are largely broke, okay, you might resemble that. I don't know how you're rolling in this morning, okay? But college students are usually broke as jokes, like ramen is expensive, you know, that kind of broke. Um, and they asked those students to give $2 a piece, and we raised $103,000 to do something amazing. North Korea is closed off to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is so much better than the gospel of Kim Jong-un. And so what they're going to do is they're going to put the gospel on jump drives, like the Bible on jump drives, and they printed up Bibles, and they're going to put them in weather balloons. And because of this, there's going to be 200,000 copies of the Bible in Korean are going to be, they're going to leave China in weather balloons, and they have scientists working on this, so that when they reach the atmosphere over North Korea, the gospel is literally going to rain down on Kim Jong-un. And I was like, yeah, okay. They said two bucks a piece. I got my wallet out, and I was like, what do I got? I'm putting it in there. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard in the world. He thinks that he can be God, and he thinks that he can keep the gospel out no, he can't. Our God is big, and his plans are never thwarted. That's a big word to say he always gets his way. And so I want us to look at Psalm 127. There's so much in here, but I want to focus on verses 1 and 2 and give us hope for the new year. I want you to read this with me. Psalm 127, a song of ascents which means going up to worship and going to Jerusalem, no matter where you were, north, south, east, west. If you went to worship in Jerusalem, you were going up. You know why? It was on a mountain. It's going up there. You know, have you ever done that with direction? You're being directionally challenged, you know? We're going down there, okay? You say you're going to Indiana. I'm going down there. No, you're not. You're going up there, okay? Unless something happens. Or you're going up to Indiana. So here is, here is what's happening here is that no matter where you go, Jerusalem is up because that's the place where God has put his temple in the Old Testament. That's the place where worship happens. And so Song of Ascent means this is something that worshipers and pilgrims would sing as they're on their way up. And it is of Solomon, which means Solomon, King David's son by Bathsheba, the one who survived, is the one who is writing this psalm. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house... Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. 
And I want to point out to you, and we'll just kind of walk through this for a minute and understand. There's, there's, another, pat, there's another part of this psalm which talks about children. And talks about the blessing that children are. And we got to remember this because do you remember that Christmas song? And mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. Okay, okay. You know, you're ready for your kids to go. And after Christmas and you're waiting for that, you're like, you're like, Lord Jesus, are they blessings or curses? Okay. Remember they're blessings. And that's what we're going to we have time to get in that today. But children are a blessing from the Lord. Just remember that. Remember that when they're fighting. Remember that when they're spilling milk everywhere. Remember that when they wake up in the middle of the night and say, I'm sick. And then you have have to clean it up. Remember, they are blessings, okay? So we're, gonna, we're not going to have time to go there. I need an amen on that. Come on, give me an amen on that. They're a blessing. You remember that. They're down there. People are getting their hair pulled out right now. Ah! Okay, they're taking care of your kids right now, okay? Bless God. And you need to love them, okay? But remember, they're blessings, and that's why you're doing it. Free, okay? The verses I want us to focus on is verse 1 and 2. And I want you to get this. Brothers and sisters, we must work hard, but always remember that all effort is in vain without the Lord. Brothers and sisters, just hear me. Work hard, but always remember that all effort is in vain without the Lord because that's what, Sol- that's what Solomon, a man of wisdom, a man who eventually would run away from God-given wisdom, but a man of wisdom nevertheless said this, that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor or build it labor in vain. Now, this is a man who knows a lot about building. Because under his reign, the temple in Jerusalem was built. This was no small, thing, small task. This was a big undertaking, a big construction project. And if you've ever run construction before, it is nightmarish. I don't know what I'm doing, but I have done a lot of construction projects. And people who work with me, bless God, they have loved me through it, okay? From people who helped me to my wife and them, and I kind of had it. There was one time we remodeled, one of the many times we remodeled a house. We were remodeling a house in Panama City. And I am such a moron when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm getting better. You know, but it's still, and I was, we had been, we had been living in the house we were remodeling, okay? So I'm, I'm walking in the, the, the pseudo-finished washroom, and I trip over a bunch of building materials, and I had that moment where, you know, it's just like the thermostat clicking, you know, and it just pops, you're like, Woo! And so I took all of the junk that was in the laundry room, and I threw it outside, not a word said. I got my keys, went and left. I don't even remember where I went. I was in such a rage. And my wife and my mother-in-law were like, mm, well, he lost it. And they went and picked that stuff up. So I want you to think about this. Unless the Lord, and you know this, if you've been building a house or whatever, unless the Lord builds a house, it ain't going to happen. Because there's so many variables that go into that. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. House can be seen in a, several different ways, first off. I just want you to know this is how maybe, maybe this relates to kids. House can be talking about a physical structure like Solomon, for example. He built the temple in Jerusalem for God to be worshipped in, followed those instructions. So it could be a literal construction. It also could be um, building a family. That's one of the ways that word could be used um, in the Hebrew. It's talking about building up a house or a family. Or it could be talking about building up a nation. I think God maybe has all three in view. But in essence, it goes down to this. Unless the Lord does it, those who build it labor in vain. The second thing is, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen wait in vain. So we got construction, and you got preservation. Somebody say construction. Somebody say preservation. 
There we go. So we have here is that the, to build and to be preserved, God has to be the one who ultimately does it. And it's got, it has this idea here in verse 1, and I want you to think about it. A watchman, and we don't have this now, okay? We might have ADT or some, some kind of alarm system on our car or in our house that, that would warn us of potential dangers, okay? But these people, in a land where, where, where other nations could attack, they lived in walled cities, and to be note to note of coming invaders, you'd have to shut the walls of the city and prepare for them to come. And so what watchmen would do was they would sit on the wall, and this is real novel, they would watch. <laughs> okay? <laughs> that was their job. And usually the, 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 ba- the worst shift is the night shift on the, the watches. Some of you night shift workers, you're like, I know. Okay? They would have to sit up at night where it's dark, and you're usually going to sleep, and they would watch for incoming dangers. And he's saying this, unless the Lord watches the house, the watchmen wait in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city and protects it, the watchmen still wait in vain. Now remember, this is Solomon. He's the king of Jerusalem. All of these things would have been in his life. So he is writing from personal experience as well, something that he has seen, construction and and preservation. And I want you to get this here. He is telling us that all human effort... He's giving us examples of that in construction and in watching and protection. All human effort is ultimately in vain unless the Lord establishes it, unless the Lord works in it, unless the Lord uses it. Now, here's what happens when we get to this place. We get to a place that the Bible doesn't get to. We either fall on two sides of of the ditch, okay? We don't ever get right in the middle lane and keep it running. We're running off the road somewhere. And here's where it does. Some of us worry because we don't believe God is sovereign, which means he's in control of everything. And so you worry, and you got to work, and you stay up at night, and you, you got the nervous stomach, and you think about all these things, and you wake up at 3 a.m., and you go, and you go work because you think the only thing that can save you is your work. And this is a remedy. This passage has a remedy for that, that God is in control, and unless God does it, it will not be accomplished. On the other side, on the other side of the ditch, which is still a bad place to be, are those people who trust God's sovereignty to a a place of fatalism, which is like this. You may have heard this before. You may have even thought this before. If God knows everything and he is in control of everything, then why on earth am I wearing a seatbelt? Because if he's sovereign, if I get in a car wreck, it's his will and I'm going to die. And then you're thinking, that is stupid. He gave you a brain, and he gave you statistics. And statistics say if you get in a car wreck, you're more likely to live with a seatbelt on than not. You might disagree. You might think it's, it's constraining, but just by the law of averages and other things like that, he gave you a mind. Think, don't go through the windshield, because that's not a pretty funeral. So you follow this place, like, it's just going to happen. I'm just going to be laissez-faire and lazy about it. But here, that is somewhere the Bible never goes. The Bible is work hard. Work as hard as you can for Jesus. Put your, put your nose to the grindstone. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but don't worry as you work, because worry zaps today of its strength when you're worrying about tomorrow. But don't worry about it because he's sovereign and in control, and nothing happens outside the plan of his will. How do those things work together? You know what? I don't know, and you don't either, and here's why you don't know, because your mind and my mind are like, this. And his mind is like, boom, okay, everywhere. 
You ever have a kid tell you something that you need to do? Like a two-year-old? Their world has exploded if they don't get the right sippy cup. Oh, man. I didn't want that one. I wanted the one with the elephant. You gave me one with the hippopotamus. Ah! Okay. I think I'm going to listen to you, two-year-old. You obviously have your world in right proportions. And they're telling you what to do. Or even a five-year-old, even a seven-year-old, they're telling you what to do. Would you listen to them? Most of the time, no. You know why? Because they have not developed in their minds to the place that you have, Lord willing, okay? And you know what, 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 that is what we like when we try to lecture the infinite almighty. I don't understand. I can't believe you. You have no idea what he's doing. Unless he revealed it, we're just groping in the darkness. And he's revealed some, but he hasn't revealed it all. You know why? Because our peat brains can't take it. So, yeah, he calls us to work hard, and he calls us to trust him hard. And if we don't do, if we, if we forget those two things in balance, we'll go in laziness and fatalism, or we'll fall into this other dish of worry and anxiety that we were never called to live in. And so what we see here is that in both cases, in Psalm 27, verse 1, the, the people who are, are laboring, look in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, they're doing something. What are they doing? They're building it. Okay? Do this, if you would. Decide you're going to do a construction project at the house. Get all the materials and lay it out there. And I just want you to pray over those materials. Just put your hand on it. Lay your hand on it. Get some anointing oil. Call the elders. We'll come over. We'll pray over it. Don't do anything. Just let it happen. What's going to happen? Nothing's going to rot. And your wife's going to be like, are you ever going to finish that? And like, yeah, baby. Okay, I'm praying, waiting on the Lord. That is so, so dumb. Why do we think that that's the way it works? That is not how it works. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in it, those who, those, have, those who are trusting in the Lord have to work for the Lord. Not that he can't do it, but he wills that we work out our salvation and that we be his hands and his feet. And you go on and look at this in verse one. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You'd fire the watchman if he's asleep and all of a sudden the, the other armies run through the door. How many of you would, would fire your alarm company or, or break the contract if every time you left home someone robbed it and the thing didn't go off? Would you be happy with ADT? Would you be happy with your car alarm system that it could be disabled just by waiting a few seconds and you could get in and leave it? Would you be happy with that? No, what would you do? You call the car company and yell at them. Oh, okay. Why? Because it's not working. And the watchmen, you know what they're doing? They're staying up late. It's not a call. Trusting in the sovereignty of God is not a call to be lazy. We must work. And you see this in, in, you see this in the New Testament. In Colossians 3, 23 and 24, we'll have them up here on the screen. Whatever you do, this is, him, this is Paul talking to the church of Jesus. He says, whatever you do, work heartily, which is a, this is a way of saying work as hard as you can. As for the Lord, not for men. You're doing it to honor God, not for other people. Because people don't usually, don't usually regard your work. And if you get on that people-pleasing bandwagon, Lord have mercy, you're going to get exhausted. It's like a hamster wheel where you just run and run and run and you don't go anywhere. And then you know what happens at the end? They still comment on you on fa- about you on Facebook. Can you see what they did? 
laboring in vain. No, no, no. We're, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of you as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Fulfillment of this. And also we look in 2 Thessalonians, Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica, and in verse 10 he says this, for even when we were with you, and he's talking about him and those who were on his missionary journey with him. We would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's in the Bible? That seems a little bit harsh. Our care bear Jesus wouldn't let that happen. Jesus is far wilder than you could ever imagine. He is compassionate, but he's not soft. And he says, if you don't work, you're not going to eat. You're being lazy. L-A-Z-Y, you ain't got no alibi. If anyone is not willing to work, let him eat. Let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Listen to me, folks. If you don't have work for the Lord, you'll find work to do, and usually it's destructive. You know where most of the complaining happens? You know who most you know who does does most of the complainants? Complainants, sorry. You know who does most of the complaining anywhere? In church, wherever, is those who are not working. I'll tell you what, this could be done better. Yeah, I don't know. I got a better idea than that, I'm sure. Oh, sure. Well, what are you doing? Nothing, but I'm sure it could be done better. I'll hit you with a two by four. That is not helpful, okay? You've been there? You're cleaning up something, and somebody's like, mm, you really should have used paper towels and not napkins. I'll cut you. Get down here. Help me pick up the juice from your two-year-old, okay? Who comes their person's two-year-old, right? The other person's. Now, such persons, and we'll go back to 2 Thessalonians, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ, do their work quietly and earn their own living. Verse 13, as for you, brothers, don't grow weary of doing good. No matter if the other person's lazy, no matter if they're criticizing you, you go to work. Now, this is trust and sovereignty because 2 Thessalonians, this letter is all about Christ's return. And you know how much power you have over Christ's return? Zilch. Nada, none. Do you know who knows? Is it the blood moon guys? No. Is it the people who talk about the, the world ending because of an eclipse, whether it be solar or lunar? No, those people are crazy. Just know that. Next time you get worked up by the tabloid line or some weird thing where they're taking all the numbers and letters of the, the Old Testament and, and putting them into a mathematical equation, and you're like, oh my gosh, and somehow that makes sense. Just stop yourself and say, they're nuts. I'm pumped about this today. I had coffee. I'm ready to go. I didn't get a preach last week, so you're getting the whole shebang right now. And I want you to hear this. The Lord is in control. And so what do we do until he comes? We work hard for Jesus, not for the praise of man, not to earn salvation, but to know, but to, to know the fullness of what God has put us on the earth for, to love him and to serve him and others. And so we see that here. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor in, are in, they labor in vain. Labor is required. Not only that, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. The watchmen still have to stay awake and do their work. We also see in Philippians, and here's the good news, Philippians chapter 2 12 and 13, Paul's writing, Therefore, my beloved, 
As you have also always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How are you supposed to work out your salvation? Or what are you supposed to do with your salvation? Just sit there? Let it happen to you? No, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And here is some great news. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is so powerful, he can accomplish his deeds in any way. Nothing can stop him. Nobody could stop Christ. Even in trying to stop Jesus, those who would crucify him fulfilled God's plan because it was God's plan for the foundation of the earth that the Son of God would be crucified, dead, and buried. And they, in acting in their own will, they basically did the will of God. Not that their sin was, 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 was part of it, but even in their sin, God worked to accomplish his purposes. And here's the good news. God works in his people to accomplish his, to accomplish his will and work. And that is how the Lord builds a house. And that is how the Lord watches over a city, construction and preservation. It's all through his people working through the power of his spirit for the glory of God and trusting in him solely. So you are called this year, and as we look at this passage, we are called not because we trust that God is in control of everything and that unless he does it, our efforts in vain, that does not mean we don't go to work. It just means we go to work with the right frame of mind, that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain, which leads us to this place of dependence. We don't like to be dependent, Especially this country, we were brought up on independence. In fact, we celebrate Independence Day. You want to pick yourself up by your bootstraps, self-made people. And there's nothing wrong with a strong work ethic. In fact, I just pointed that out. But I want you to know something, and you just realize this. The very ability you have to work is all of grace. You could have been born with, not, with, with the fact that your body wasn't, wouldn't work properly. You could have been born in some places where there were no opportunities. You could have been born in so many different places, but by God's will and design, you've been born where you are and given the gifts and abilities you have been given. That is all of grace. That is all of the work of the Lord. And we are dependent. We're dependent in our personal lives, and we are dependent in our corporate life here as a church. We don't like that. We really don't but it's a def, def, desperate and definite part of who we are. We just, I, I wanted to play that song for you this morning as we begin that says, all my hope is in Jesus. Do you realize that's all the hope that you have? Got to hear a little bit about that song. The guy who wrote it, David Crowder, the guy with the massive beard that looks like a trucker, okay, that came, you know, that guy right there. He was talking about that song, and he got invited, him and his band, right as that song was kind of coming on the forefront, and they had just written it, they got invited to come to a prodigal party, and that immediately said, what is that? What happened was there was this gentleman, and I think his name was Jack, 24 years ago committed a crime and ended up in prison for 24 years. While he was physically shackled, he met Jesus and became spiritually free. And all of his friends and family who had once been pushed aside by his poor choices, destructive behavior, and sin, were now waiting for him to get out of jail and have a party for him. They called it a prodigal party, and they invited David Crowder and his band 
to come and to play and to worship as this, as this man would come in. And they said, what a scene it was when after 24 years, this guy strolled in physically free into this place. And they said they were singing songs of worship. And as Crowder would describe it, it was like no other. People were singing it like they mean it because they had a, a representation there of somebody who had been physically bound but now is free and think about spiritually bound and now you're free and they were singing that song all my hope is in Jesus and he said what a difference that song made that changed the way he would sing it because he saw the ramifications of this do you realize you you have no other hope than Jesus do you realize you have no goodness in yourself I know, you're, I know you're probably thinking, yeah, I don't kick my dog. I'm nice to my wife. No, you don't have any goodness in front of God on your own. Everything we have is from Jesus. Everything you have is a blessing from God. Jesus is the only way to be right with God. Jesus is the one. And folks, it doesn't stop when you come to Christ. Then you realize more and more that we are helpless to do anything spiritual that's of consequence. And all of it is, uh, is from Jesus. So here's the thing. Unless the Lord builds your family, you labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds up your house, the labor is in vain. And I want you to know something. We could be the best church, have the best program, have the best strategy, have the best preaching, teaching, singing, whatever. And if the Lord is not in it, it will fail. All our hope is in Jesus, completely dependent, like a child, can't do anything can't reach the juice. Help. Doesn't preclude us from working, but it just reminds us that all of our hope is in him. And so what does it do? We need, if nothing else, this year, can we just go after him? Go after his heart? Go after him in prayer? Go after him in the word? Go after him in our relationship together? Go after him in service? Because unless the Lord builds our house, we will labor in vain. It is all his work. We may sow the seeds, but it's God who gives the increase, as Paul would say in Corinthians. It's all in his work. We wait. We watch. We work. But he does it all. Our hope is in Jesus. Nobody else. So we got to go hard after him because through prayer, we connect with him and he gives us the desires of our hearts when the desires of our hearts are his. Ask, seek, knock. Remember what he said? Seek me. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We must come with dependence, but that dependence must be confident. Look with me in verse 2 of Psalm 127. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Now, some of you want to text that to your boss. It's in vain that I rise up early and work late. They probably won't like that. But here's what he's getting at. It's not that our work comes to nothing because, you know, I mean, y'all, it's hardworking people around here. Get up, work in the cold. Many of you do many different things. You, have, you work shift work, come you work outside. It's not easy. You do work hard. That's not to say your labor is not in vain, but the idea here is working yourself to the bone because you don't, you don't feel confident in God's provision, providence, and sovereignty. 
what do we see in verse 2? It is vain when you rise up early and go, to wait, go, to, go late to rest. Why is your work in vain? Because you're eating the bread of anxious toil, which is a very artistic way to say, you know what your food is? You get nervous and to think about it. Some of you right now are worried about your bank account. I mean, you just, I'm telling you, you're thinking about it. And you should. Fiscal responsibility is important. You're worried about what's going to happen down the road financially. You should do all those things and put work into it. Remember, we're not talking about that. But I want you to know this. You can work as hard as you can, but unless the Lord establishes your steps, nothing, it, it will all fall apart. And so what's the answer? It's to work, yes, but it's to have confidence in God's plan, in God's sovereignty, in God's control. So don't beat yourself. Don't work so hard falling in this ditch and saying, if I don't do it, everything's going to fail. If I don't work, that's why God gave us this cycle of, of, of work and rest. And when we get out of it, we're screwed up. Because some of us, we want to work seven days a week all day long, and that's not how God designed us or the world. He designed for us a Sabbath rest. He designed for us a rhythm to life, and that is what we see in verse 2. It's vain if you work so hard, if you rise up early and go to bed late, worrying that God won't provide for you, for he gives sleep to his beloved. For those of us who are very goal-oriented, like myself, and who like to work hard, and sometimes border on obsessive when it comes to working. You know that. That is not good for you, and it does not show faith in Jesus. Because here's what the Israelites would have to do. And they would do this all the time. When the manna would fall from heaven, you know what they could take in the Old Testament? How much they could take? Enough for the day. And you know what happened if they decide, I'm going to store some more. Okay? This is like the opposite of hoarding, okay? The opposite of hoarding was like, you take this stuff and, and you hide it away for a rainy day. You know what they would have to do? It would go bad and they had to wait for the next morning until the Sabbath day, which is, on, which is the seventh day of the week or the sixth day of the week, however you want to talk about it. Sixth day of the week. And what do they do? They collect enough the day before. They collect enough for both days and it lasted that second day. Why? Because God knew they needed to rest. They could have kept working. They could have kept walking. They could have kept searching, but God had put in this rhythm of their life that they need to rest. And resting shows our confidence and dependence on God. And it's an example, and it shows that we have confidence in who he is. Because it's hard to rest. Go to your house today. Take an inventory of all the things that you need to do. Go ahead. Everything. Just write it down. How big is the list? And then once you get one thing done, then what's going to happen? Your heat's going to go out, am I right? <laughs> okay. Then all of a sudden you notice a brown spot on the ceiling, that roof that you just had fixed. What happened? It's leaking. Okay, you got the kids all well. Then they go to school and they get smallpox, okay? Because <laughs> everybody, it's like a Petri dish up in those places. Ah! Okay, they're just shooting disease at you when you walk up in this place. Get them well, you go to the diet. It's never ending. I gotta work. Yes, work. Yes, don't be lazy. Be dependent, working, but confident. 
Unless the Lord builds a house, unless he does, I'm dependent. I labor in vain. Yes, I labor, but it's in vain. And I have to rest and stop and trust because I can't do it on my own. We need this year to work hard, always remembering that our effort is in vain unless the Lord establishes it. We need to walk with a a confident dependence on him so that we might gain a sweet sleep. And I want to say this particularly for our church. God has brought us through so many things this last year. So many, we've worked hard. We thought we had a place to move our congregation, and it fell through. So look back, we don't regret any of that work. The Lord shut a door. We see this, that the Lord is building a house. In fact, in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, it says this, As you come to him, Jesus, who is a living stone, a cornerstone, that which you build off of, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, he's talking to believers here, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord wants to build. He's using us. He calls us living stones. We're built on the one true living cornerstone, Jesus, who was crucified for our sins, raised a new life, ascended and coming. He is the cornerstone, that which the whole church is built out of, and he is taking all of us living stones, which is a weird weird idea to think about and kind of creepy. If you think you're like living, you walked up to a stone and started talking to you, you'd be a little freaked. But that's the thing. God's taking us as living stones, and he is building us up into a spiritual house for the glory of God. Why? That we might offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And, and I want you to get this. Unless the Lord builds this house, yes, we're going to work hard. And we need you to work hard. We need all of us to work hard together. We have areas of service we need you. We need you in kids. We need you in the booth. We need you to, 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 to be a greeter. We need you to be out here, and we need you to go and work in the coffee bar and set up for communion. We need people to work in the youth. We need people to work hard. But ultimately, we need people who seek Jesus and are dependent on him and know, Lord, build this house. We can't do it on ourselves. And we get on our faces and we get on our knees and say, Lord, Build us up so that we might be for your glory and for your kingdom advancement in Hartsville and to the world. God, build us up. And when we come to those moments of anxiety where it looks like our plans are failing and we look like it just seems to us that the, Lord, that the world is out of control, I want us to remember something. The hands that are in control of our future and our house and our church and our family are nail-pierced. Nail I want you to say, I want you to get that, just let that soak into you. The hands that are guiding history, that are guiding our world, that are guiding our church, that are guiding your life as you follow Jesus are nail-pierced. What does that mean? The sovereign God has shown great concern and care for you. 
wherever he sends you, wherever he takes us, wherever he moves us, it is given, it, he is moving us in, in a gracious way because we can see in his hands and his feet the signs of his love. So wherever he takes us, wherever he says no and he says over here, wherever we get in a place of we don't know what's next, we get to the place where his hands are pierced, folks. He loves us. He will not forsake us. He is with us. He is moving. He is working. The hands that got history are nail pierced. God is not aloof. He does care. And Jesus is our only hope. All our hope is in Jesus. All of it. Not a little bit. All of it. And you need it. And I need it. And unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, it's in vain. Why do we work so hard and not trust so hard? They go hand in hand. The Lord will give us rest. The Lord is guiding history. But I invite you and I invite me to come in. To come in. To come receive. To come seek. To come rest all of our hope on nail-pierced hands. All of our hope on nail-pierced hands. And here's what I want us to do. We need to respond. We're going to respond through communion. If I'm going to communion team and Amy and Clint to come up, I want you to think about this as we think about our hope. I want us to think about this symbol. Communion is a symbol of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And we do this as a sign of our hope until he returns. And it's our confidence. It's our dependent confidence in Jesus. So if you're a believer in Jesus, in a moment, after you get the elements, you can take it with us. If you're not a believer in Jesus, it's totally fine to let this pass by. There's nothing, there's nothing salvific about this in the sense that it doesn't save you. This is just a symbol of our faith. And those who have trusted in Christ share in this together. We're going to take communion, and we're going to put the cross before us. So if you take a moment, and, and you would just seek the Lord as you are receiving the elements, and ask God, what are you saying to me this year? Am I leaning towards confidence in myself, or am I leaning towards confidence in you? Lord, where's my hope? Is my hope in my work, or is my hope in your work? God, how do I need to seek you in my church? How do I need to serve you? Let's just take a moment with the Lord work. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and we had broken. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. In like manner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We usually dismiss with a benediction or a blessing or a prayer. The day I actually want us to stand up, we're going to sing a song. This is one of the songs we sang at first, and I want us to sing this as we leave. And when they get done singing, you can head out. God bless you. Hope to see you soon.
cross before me, the world behind. No turning back, raise the banner high. It's not for me, it's all for you. Let the heavens shake and split the sky. Let the people clap their hands and cry. It's not for us, it's all for you. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Not to us, but to your Dismissed. Thank you.